On December 21, it's coming up this year, just like a month from now. On December 21, in the northern hemisphere, that's where 90% of the world's population lives. On December 21, we will experience the longest night of the year. What's it called? The winter solstice. That's when the North Pole is angled furthest away from the sun. Making the celebration of Advent, the coming of the light of the world, all the more meaningful. It comes at the darkest moment of the year. Martin Luther is credited with being the first one to actually put lit candles in a tree. I don't encourage you to do, try this at home, <laughs> unless you've got fire insurance or something. Um, but that's what he did. You know, he was inspired because he could see the stars through the trees one night, and he was just in effect, signifying the light of the knowledge of the glory of God as seen in the face of Christ. So he lit up the tree. And that's what Christmas is all about. Who doesn't love driving by a well-lit home in December? You know? Because light tends to lift the heart with hope and gladness as it pierces the darkness. We're going to get some lights going on in here as well. <clears throat> if you want to help us, tomorrow we're decorating <laughs> the sanctuary, FYI, all day. Light was the nation Israel's great friend at its inception. It was born at the Exodus, crossed the Red Sea, by way of divine fiat, a miracle. And they began their 40-year wilderness journey. And it's dark out in the desert. There's no street lights, no city lights. And so God gave them this pillar of fire at night to guide them for 40 years. It was their great friend at the, the nation's inception. Something that they commemorated every year at the time of Christ by illuminating the middle court in the temple, at the Temple Mount, during the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you recall, the Feast of Tabernacles was also commemorating the 40-year wilderness experience by pointing to God's faithfulness as they tabernacled in the wilderness. They're moving around. They can't build a house of stone or a solid residence. They're picking up tent stakes and moving around. And so they have the Feast of Tabernacles where they made little booths there in and around Jerusalem to remember God's faithfulness. We had nothing. We were so vulnerable. Are you feeling vulnerable right now in your circumstance? They celebrated God's power and his faithfulness and his goodness. He got them through that wilderness experience and into the promised land. And he'll do the same for us as we trust him. It, all week, they would light these enormous candelabras in the center court 
courtyard of the temple. To commemorate that, that light that God provided, the pillar of light. But at the end of the week, when that light was snuffed out, and all those candles were snuffed out, Jesus entered the court, that court, the court of the treasury. And he proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine your husband saying that? Or your wife or your neighbor or the president of the United States? Who else could say that and not be laughed to scorn when it comes out of Jesus' mouth, nobody laughs. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light refused to the, refer, refers to the truth, the truth about God and his plan of salvation that leads to spiritual Life, this inner life, the life of God, a firsthand knowledge of the glory of God as seen in the face of Christ. As Jesus begins his earthly ministry in today's text, we discover that it is indeed a fulfillment of a prophecy all about light. So Matthew chapter 4, we pick it up in verse 12. Now when he, referring to Jesus, heard that John, this is John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, he withdrew to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. You got a slide for me? This is northern Israel. And these are the, the tri- a tribe refers to uh, a son of Jacob, whose name God changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. They became the nation Israel. And this, this was the land allotted them. Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River spills out from the Sea of Galilee and goes south, further south than our slide shows, but it eventually hits the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, which is near Jerusalem. And that's that's where John had been baptizing. Now he's taken into prison. So Jesus gets ready to take over. Travels through up to Nazareth, his hometown, and over to Capernaum. This was all prophesied in Isaiah 
9. Isaiah was written seven centuries before Christ. Verse 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. There were many people living in Galilee. At this time, they estimate three and a half million, and many Gentiles among them, unbelievers, non-Jews, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, as it was called, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound familiar? If you've been with us in Matthew, sounds a lot like John's message, didn't it? Repent. John the Baptist readied the hearts of the people to receive Christ through this baptism of repentance. Prepare your heart to receive the king. The king is coming mightier than I. I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Get ready. Make a straight path for him to your heart. Confess your sin. Turn from it. Be cleansed. Repent. And when Jesus joined him at the Jordan River, John proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He identified Jesus, which was his mission in life. Having completed it, Jesus' radiance now begins to eclipse that of John's. As some poet put it, the moon and stars are lost when the sun rises, right? John himself said, he must increase and I must decrease. So John's incarceration marks the beginning of Jesus' preaching ministry. Light reveals truth. Darkness hides truth. Jesus came to reveal the truth about God. Remember, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. He came to reveal the truth about God that he might save the world even though most of the world were content to live in darkness. At enmity with God. This is revealed in Isaiah's prophecy beginning in verse 15. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. To sit in something speaks of a certain settledness. Sitting in it. You're settled in your sanctuary chairs right now. Matthew Henry writes, where we sit, we mean to stay. It is a contented posture. So they're content sitting in this land of Zebulun and, and uh, uh, Naphtali. 
Galilee of the Gentiles. Our sin natures love sitting in darkness. Loves to censor God's word because such ignorance tends to obscure our sin and numb our conscience. But there's no hope in neglecting or rejecting our maker, our savior, and no deep and abiding satisfaction in worshiping lesser gods. If we're not worshiping our great God and Savior, then we're worshiping a lesser God. There's something else that gets us up in the morning. It could be another person, place, or thing. The accolades of others. Selfish ambitions. So Jesus comes to illuminate the way, illuminate the way out of darkness. And he does it by beginning, beginning where John left off. He begins to preach and say, verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have to stop sitting in a settled posture, content to live with our backs to God. We've got to stop doing that. We've got to turn around. Embrace him and walk in the light of his truth. What's the light of his truth? Gideon's tried to put some light in your hand earlier. <laughs> Hopefully you've got this in some form, either digital or hard copy. It's the word of God. This is the revelation of God to man. It's revelation is light. It's truth. You know, when we go into a room, if it's dark, We could easily stumble over furniture. You turn on the light and you see what's true. You see what's there and you can avoid it. Verse 18. And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. <clears throat> this was not the first time Jesus met these men. In John 1.40, we learn that Andrew met Jesus while he was a disciple of John the Baptist. John was the first one on the scene and he, he gathered a great following. Andrew was one of them. And he was the one who told his brother Peter, we have found the Messiah, the long-awaited Holy One, anointed of God, the deliverer of Israel. We found him, he tells Peter this. We can assume that James and John had also seen and heard Jesus before. But now comes the clear call to follow him. And if they do, 
he promises to make them fishers of men. In other words, he was inviting them to become the greatest influencers the world has ever known. Everybody wants to be an influencer, so they get their podcast up. They twit and tweet and probably twit too, but, you know, they, they want to be an influencer. I want my life to count. I want my life to have an effect on others. Nobody had a greater effect than these guys ever, the chosen. And that's the invitation that Jesus says. And he gave them, I'll make you fishers of men. It's interesting to note that many of the same gifts and abilities and qualities that make good fishermen make good witnesses of Jesus Christ. Both need patience. We have any fishers of fish here? How long does it take once you put your bait in the water? Like how many seconds? Can you count them? And not the, no, we don't count in seconds. You count in minutes. Sometimes you just keep counting. When I was a kid, you know, there, we had, there were five siblings in my family. And, and my dad, through my mom's instruction, tried to make sure that he spent a little special time with each kid. And my special time was on the Santa Monica Pier throwing a line into the water. And my dad was a southern gentleman, so he didn't like bait that was too gooey and messy. So, so we got some raw shrimp and just cut it up neatly and put it on the hook and throw it in. And, and it went in the line and then in the water. And then we just sat down and we watched the line and we watched the pull and we waited and we waited and we waited. One time we got tired of waiting. For some reason, we left the scene. When we came back, everybody was saying, your pole was bending all the way over. But because it wasn't our pole, we didn't touch it. I think we had, I don't know, Moby Dick or something on the other end of that. <laughs> we'll never know. We finally got loose. You have to be patient to be a good fisherman. Rarely do we see quick results from reflecting the light of Christ to those around us in word and deed. We have to wait and pray. Good fishermen, the good fishermen and the faithful light bearer also needs to be courageous. They know any fishing expedition can be met with a violent storm. Forget where we were, some coastal town in Europe, I think in Ireland, and we were, they had memorials for the fishermen that didn't come back. You think of the wives and children that when they took off to go on a fishing expedition, they had no guarantee they would see them again. There is a danger in telling the truth, as Fox's Book of Martyrs bears out. And again, I just saw this movie yesterday, The Chosen. But 
Jesus gives full disclosure as he's sending them out. They're anxious. It's one thing to go out with Jesus and he does all the heavy lifting. You know, and you're just there to bask in his glory. But now he's sending you out alone. Or should I say, with another partner there. And they're saying, but isn't that, this could be dangerous. He said, yeah. It definitely could be life-threatening. And you could lose your life doing this, answering this call. He said, this particular time, you're safe. <laughs> he tells him here, this little mission trip, uh, you're all coming back. But not always. I love that about Christ, full disclosure. He's not a bait and switch type of a savior. He says, in this world, you're going to have some violent storms. And they might even take your life. But be courageous. I've overcome the world. Life is more than this temporary existence. I've got your back. So the Lord took these men whom he had gifted and prepared through their life experience and through their temperaments and called them out to become full-time fishers of men. Is that how you think of yourself as a full-time fisher of men, fisher of people? I remember going away on a retreat many years ago Seven pastors that had been invited by these three businessmen, these Christian businessmen. And the first night, they flew us out to this remote location. The first night, we're going around, and we're kind of introducing ourselves, and the pastors are going around, and they're explaining, you know, the full-time ministry that they're involved with. And then we get to Michael Miller, who's the CEO of Capital Planning in Bellevue, and he begins like this. He says, my name is Michael and I'm in full-time ministry. And I knew the other guys. I knew that they were pastors over here. And I also knew that Michael was not a pastor. <laughs> he was a businessman. But then he went on to say, I'm a full-time fisher of men. My vocation is in financing, but, but this is what my life is about. I'm in full-time Ministry. Does that challenge anybody here? God has uniquely gifted, prepared, and called each of us to reflect His love and His truth, to participate in the building of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, by becoming fishers of men. Again, influencing those around us that God has brought into our lives to cross our paths into our spheres of influence. They're watching us. They're listening. They're listening to the words we speak and they're watching the way we live, what we do. Early in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 14, he tells his followers you are the light of the world. He's already said he is the light of the world. Now, now he's saying, hey, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, 
and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Wait a minute, you might be thinking. I thought the good news was that it wasn't based on good works. That's what every other man-made religion is all about. He's saying, hey, God has prepared beforehand, before we were a twinkle in our Father's eye, good works that we would glorify our Father in heaven. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. What's the number one good work that we can accomplish in our short lives? What's the number one good work? What does Jesus say is the most important work that we can do? Yes, yes. When the crowds caught up to him in Capernaum uh, in John 6, 28, they inquired, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the greatest work. The religious leaders, they, you know, they knew how to pump iron by you know, their many prayers and their almsgiving and uh, you know, their rituals. But she said, you're, you're missing the mark. Good work that God the Father requires is that we believe, we trust in the one that he sent to take away our sin, that Lamb of God. It's impossible to please God without faith, without believing that Jesus is the one that the Father has sent. But from that place of relationship, that place of joy and peace and hope should flow words of encouragement and random acts of kindness. You know, David says in Psalm 23 that his cup overflows, right? He's talking about, you know, the, the heart of the man, his desires met in a relationship with God so that it overflows. You can't keep it to yourself. If you're receiving the love of God, it says it is shed abroad within our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to overflow. And when it does, it's going to draw other people like the proverbial moth to the flame. The words and deeds of God incarnate caused quite a few to glorify their Father in heaven. And we want to be like him. God help us to be like him. Let's finish the chapter, verse 23. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, 
teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went out into all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, para, uh, paralytics, and he healed them. And by the way, Jesus' enemies, and he had many enemies, especially among the religious leaders, they never questioned any of his miracles. Why do you think that was? Exhibit A was everywhere. They were walking around. <laughs> Too many healed by the power of Christ to deny it. And so they never even go there. They never challenge his miracles, his enemies. Verse 25, and great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis it's to the east of the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. <clears throat> One of the Messiah's credentials laid down in the Old Testament the Old Testament prophets, they say, when the Messiah come, this is what you're going to look for. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to be a sight to the blind. The lame are going to leap. You find a guy like that, pay attention. They warned him hundreds of years ahead of time. Those were the credentials that you would expect to see. A display of God's compassion on our broken bodies struggling in a fallen world. But the Lord's main ministry between his baptism and his crucifixion, that main ministry was teaching and preaching. Teaching is explanation. Preaching is proclamation. But the content is the same. We do both here. Calvary Chapel is founded upon a careful line-by-line -line teaching of the Word of God. But there's also a proclaiming of the certainties of these revelations. So there's teaching and preaching, and that's what we find Christ doing as well. The faith that saved Abraham, we call him the father of our faith. The faith that saved Abraham was his simple trust in the promise of God. The promise that he would provide himself a lamb, that God would provide himself a lamb through a substitutionary sacrifice. We talked about this last week as well. And through the promised child, Isaac, would come a seed, capital S, that would act as a substitute for all who believed after Abraham God saw the faith of Abraham and reckoned it to him as righteousness. You're with me. You are saved. And now everyone in first century Galilee in our text and 21st century Bellevue in this room and online, wherever you are, who believes the good news is saved likewise, just like Abraham. This was the light that Jesus was shining 
in our text. And the light he commissioned these former fishers of fish to shine. And the light we have subsequently been commissioned, called and equipped to reflect. Are we ready? Are we willing? I say, let there be light. In my life, God, use me. Just fan the flame of faith, the love of God which has been shed abroad within my heart and our hearts that people would see and know that you, you are God and you are good and you have made a way that where you are, we may be also. That's the hope of Christmas. It's the reason for the lights. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Lord, we, we are painfully aware of the fact that um, we're heading toward the winter solstice where it seems like it's getting dark around 4 o'clock and doesn't get light until 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock the next day. These, these are the darkest times for 90% of those living on the planet. Which is why I feel it is so appropriate that we celebrate the birth of Christ at this time of the year. As Simeon said, as he took the child into his hand in the temple courts, this baby would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the hope of Israel. Lord, give us holy goosebumps, uh, just thinking a little bit about what you have accomplished and the great light which you have provided this revelation, this understanding, this knowledge of the glory of God as seen in the face of Christ. If you have not seen that glory, if you've not opened your eyes to the wonder of it all, the fact that here is the Lamb of God who bore our sin in His body on the cross. If you haven't done that, I want to pray with you today to make that transaction. And I also want to pray at the same time with anyone here that maybe your light is really more like just a smoldering wick. And your testimony really doesn't reflect the goodness of God and the power of God. But you want God to relight His presence in your life. 
I want you to pray with me as well. Let's, let's all pray together. You can do it in the quiet of your heart. You can just say, God, I look at everything that you've made. And if I'm honest and humble, I have to give you credit. You are the creator. There is no other explanation. But you not only have created all that we see, When mankind, our first parents, went south in the garden and brought corruption into the world, death and diseased thorns and thistles, you launched that plan which you had always had in your heart from before the foundation of the world to send a Savior. And we celebrate the Incarnation. I ask you for myself or for others that need you to fan the flame, increase the heat in our hearts and minds, that we would reflect your goodness, Lord. We would all consider ourselves full-time ministers of reconciliation. As Paul said, we are. That's what the church is, full-time ministers of reconciliation. We just lay our lives down, ask you to, to use them, Lord, to shine through us that others would know and would come to the light. I ask this in Christ's name, amen.